0: Good afternoon. I'm your host, Jimmy Kim, and you are tuning in to the greatest show on the planet, the Jimmy Kim Show. Thank to the audience out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Today I have the wonderful pleasure of interviewing Dean Herbachak. He is the former mayor of Sugarland and former city council member as well. And by trade, he's a lawyer and a CPA. Today he's going to share with us his story as well as his wisdom for success. Dean, thank you so much for coming to the studio to do this interview with me.
1: Jimmy, thank you very much for the invite, and let me clarify, it's Herbacek. Herbacek, my policies. (laughs) As I told you earlier, if I could find Vanna White, I'd buy a valve,
0: make it simpler. Uh, (laughs) Very nice, okay. All right, Dean, so let's get started. Tell us about, tell the audience about yourself and who you are and what you do.
1: Well, uh, I'm Dean Herbacek. As he said, I had an opportunity to serve as mayor of Sugar Land in the past, but more importantly, I'm a third-generation Texan. I'm a native Houstonian, and there aren't many native Houstonians in the area. Uh, we ended up moving to Sugar Land back in 1988 and my wife kind of had to drag me out there because I'm thinking that's too far that's out on the sticks but uh, to say the very least things have changed Uh, through the years uh, I was first involved in the accounting profession uh, ended up deciding to go to law school graduated from the University of Houston Law Center Uh, I'm also a CPA Uh, don't practice accountancy uh, but I've got a law practice out in Sugarland, and we've had an opportunity to be involved in the Sugarland community now for over 30 years, and so it's been quite a ride, quite a change in regards to where the way Sugarland looked in 1988 when we first moved out. Uh, also, uh, my wife and I this last uh, week we celebrated our 40th anniversary. Wow! Congratulations. So, well, thank you very much. That's so, phenomenal. Uh, my wife yeah. has put up with me all of those years, so uh, <laughs> I, I've got to give her a plug for doing that.
0: Right. Uh, smart man for saying that on air, because oh, I, I know it. she's probably listening. <laughs> that's an essential deed. So that's that's phenomenal that you've been able to serve uh, Sugarland in that to that capacity, because from what, what I'm aware of, Sugarland a few years ago was actually ranked the number one city in the country. Is that correct? At one point?
1: It, it was ranked number one for, for various things through the years in terms of best place to have a business, uh, you know, a growing community and, and various uh Various groups that do rankings for various things, uh, Sugarland, going back to really the mid-90s all the way forward uh, has excelled for many, many years in terms of uh, low taxes, fiscal responsibility, great place to raise a family, to live, work, and play as we used to say years ago. And so we're very, very blessed to have such a, a small town uh, community, but all of the big city values.
0: Yes, that's phenomenal, and I'm sure you did your part and contributed to make that so as well because you served in, uh, as mayor and on city council.
1: Well, we did, and when we first got elected, we were a little bit, to say the very least, we were neophyte in terms of politics. Um, but when I first got elected to the uh, city council, I was 34 years old, had small children. Uh, compared oh, so to you started pretty early in compare, politics. Compared to most of my fellow council members, uh, uh, I, I was quite the oddball, you might say. Uh, so that... You know, I viewed things a little bit differently when we were looking at parks, developing parks, things that were important. Uh, so that that played a big role. When I got elected mayor, I was uh, 37 at that point. So oh, that's very younger, young, too. One of the youngest mayors in Sugarland. Wow! Mm-hmm. And uh, when I ran for mayor, I ran against someone who was born and raised in Sugarland, and I was the outsider. So it was a little bit of a surprise and sort of a change for Sugarland politics when someone from the outside and uh, someone at least my age was able to get elected during that time period.
0: Yeah, you must have been very determined and I'm sure you worked very hard at well, that time and I'm sure you do still now.
1: Well, well, we did and you know more importantly we had uh, great friends, great supporters uh, and we shared a common vision of what Sugar, Sugar Land not only was but could be in the future and so that was uh, very important and played a, a big role in the process and lastly my wife played a big role. She's my biggest Being supporter. Supporting, so yeah, I supporter, appreciate that right? very much. Yes.
0: No, sometimes it's good to have an outsider to get into the game of politics and the political arena.
1: Well, a, a little bit of the bull in the China closet. So yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I can actually relate to maybe what you had went through at the time, because a lot of the times uh, most people know I'm a political activist as well. And usually I feel like I'm one of the youngest people around right. engaging in those activities. So you could yeah, I can definitely relate right. to what you went through to a certain extent. But that's not necessarily a bad thing.
1: No, no. I I, I think uh, from a political standpoint, I think you need different people, different ideas, different age groups, uh, and and you all come together and work for the common good. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's the way the system should work, the way it's designed to work. Uh, But sometimes politics, you know, kind of like watching sausage getting made. It's not always a pretty process when you see how it it gets done in the back room and how it gets done in the process.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, right. But it's also good as, as a young person getting involved in that process to soak up that wisdom, knowledge, and experience from you know, people that are older that are further in their careers, whether it's business or politics.
1: No, I agree. I agree. We had folks who had been in the community for many, many years. Uh, they brought a lot of uh, insight, a lot of value to, to the community. Uh, hopefully what I brought to the community was some new ideas, fresh ideas. When yes. we were developing parks, uh, when I first got elected, my daughter was uh, one year old. Uh, My two boys were in Little League. They were five and six at that point in time. And so experiences that we had in the community and probably most of the other council members were 15, 20 years older than I, uh, you know, the experiences and the things that we were seeing in the community were somewhat different than what they were seeing and experiencing at that point.
0: Yes, and that, that that different perspective can bring in good ideas, too. As well, well. It, it did, it did. Yeah.
1: And in fact, uh, you know, I'll just throw one unique thing. If you go to most city parks today, you're going to see playgrounds in the parks. And that's something prior to that point. My wife, uh, and I've got to give her credit, you know, when we were uh, working on uh, Lost Creek Park, and my wife says, we need something for the smaller kids to do when their older siblings are playing there's nothing for them to do they may not want to watch the game It'd be nice to have a playground in a park and so that was one of the first parks that we when we were designing and developing we ended up putting a playground in a park so while the nice. older siblings are out playing soccer for example uh, they've got a place to go a place to hang out a place to play and have fun too
0: yeah I think that's a great development because when I was a kid I, I love playgrounds Right. I would, be on those things all day until I couldn't move anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your mom took you to the playground every day, right? Uh, I Come on, Jimmy, go wear yourself out. All yeah.
0: right, uh, Dean, tell us, so tell us about your, your current uh, work right now. Do you have your own law firm?
1: I, I have a law firm out in Sugarland. It's called Herbatic Law Firm. Um, we're a small firm, but one of the things we focus on is providing, you know, high-end, high-quality services to our clients. Areas that we get involved in. We get involved in a lot of estate planning, a lot of probate work. Uh, I personally do a lot of tax controversy work representing clients in disputes before the IRS, uh, whether it's an audit, a collection matter, litigation in the U.S. Tax Court, litigation in the District Court, Courts of Appeals. We get involved in civil litigation, uh, real estate matters, uh, some employment law, business law. So a lot of it is based around business law and the things a small, medium-sized business would encounter in running their business.
0: Okay. And do you have a team of attorneys that help you with all those different that's uh, correct. subjects? Okay. That's correct. I was going to say, because for you to do all that by yourself, that's quite a bit. No, <laughs> no, no, no.
1: Thank God I've got a, a great uh, great team of attorneys, okay. a lot of experience, and they do an excellent job uh, providing for our clients.
0: Very nice. So they have each, probably each have their own niche that they specialize in?
1: That's correct. Okay. That is correct.
0: Okay, and then it's
1: kind of like going to the doctor's office. You know, right. you you've got yeah. your general practitioner, yes. and then you've got your surgeon. You may yeah. have your heart doctor. You may, you know, the, everyone kind of has their area of expertise these days.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's very very nice. And you said you're you're not practicing as a CPA right now?
1: No, no, no. We we did uh, early on. Uh, in fact, I got my CPA license when I was in law school. But we don't practice as a CPA, but having the understanding, understanding financial statements, uh, whether I'm representing a client, buying and selling a business, understanding the financial aspects, being able to read financial statements, understanding the tax ramifications, uh, representing clients in tax controversy matters, understanding the tax implications of those matters, uh, doing estate planning, understanding yes. the tax implications. So it helps with so, that? So it all, it all comes into play.
0: Okay, very nice. Yeah, the more, the more training and skills you have, obviously, you bring more value to whatever field you're doing. And it's yeah. a great example of that, just to have it under your belt.
1: It does. It does. It, it brings more value, more expertise, and uh, uh, sometimes it gives you a little bit of an edge over opposing counsel who may not have that background and that expertise.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. All right. Dean, tell us more about your tenure as city council member of Sugarland, as well as mayor.
1: Well... You know, I could probably sit here all day and and, and tell you some stories, but to probably go through some of the highlights, hopefully one of the things I brought to the city is a conservative philosophy. What is the role of government? Uh, And sometimes people have a tendency to think government should be everything to everybody, and it's a question of what are people expecting from the government. Uh, Some of the, probably one of the things I'm most proud of, when I first got elected to the city council, Sugar Land had a 50 cent tax rate at that point. Uh, after serving for nine years as a council member and as mayor, when I left, we had a 33 cent tax rate.
0: Oh, nice. You and, lowered uh, it,
1: yeah. We, we lowered it. We lowered it over a third. And we did it by being wise in how we're spending our money. Yes. Uh, we did it and by trying to qu- attract quality companies, uh, uh, developments to Sugarland that would help pay its way to take some of the burden and the weight off not only the residential side, but also on the commercial side. Yes. And, uh, you know, the sad part is today their tax rate is still about 33%. 33 okay. cents. I'd love to see it about five or seven cents lower today. Yeah, it shouldn't be going down because of inflation. It, it, yeah. sh- it should be going down. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Uh, but that is probably one of the biggest achievements because I think it just showed that we ran the city well, fiscally responsible. Uh, you and I talked about one of the other proudest things I love about Sugarland today is Sugar Land Town Square. Love it. And,. Uh, you know, like every every development, uh, retail development today, they're, they're having challenges. Uh, not Sugar Land Town Square, but just retail across the board. So there's going to have to be some innovation. But Town Square, when it was built back in 2001, uh, was very unique to this area. One of the first town center areas developed, uh, to my understanding, in the Texas market. Very
0: nice.
1: Uh, we started working on the concept back in 1998, and I've got to give credit to uh, Sugar Land Properties and Les Newton and his team for standing in there. And today people look at it and say, wow, what you know that's a no-brainer in terms of making it happen. Uh, we had several challenges. Uh, we were trying to help finance the infrastructure within it in what's called a TURS, a tax increment reinvestment zone. And we were at that point back in the, the late 90s, uh, school districts uh, could participate in TURSs. Hmm unfortunately we went to the school district a couple of different times for trying to get their support for various reasons we couldn't get them on board I remember after the second vote uh, the following morning walking into the city manager's office and it was David Neely at the time and I said David we're going to plan C and I look at David and he's looking at me like look we've already got our tails kicked twice with the school board we don't have a plan C, and I'm like, we're gonna make a plan C because it's, it's too important to this community. Yes. Uh, what happens uh, on that corner to an extent, one of the busiest intersections in the city, Highway 6 and 59. Geographically, it's one of the center sections of the city if you yes. look at it from a geographic oh, yeah. standpoint. Uh, prior to that point, I'll ask the question of those who lived in Sugarland where was Sugarland? You know, was it the mall? Was it the city hall that was sitting in the business park? If someone asked you where was Sugar Land, what would you point to? There wasn't a distinct development. Uh, And so my belief was Sugar Land needed that core because cities can develop in different ways. You can develop in where you have a core and everything radiates out. You can develop in a wave where as the city grows out, the older areas get older and run down and you have newer areas. And a lot of the study, and I did in regard to cities, I thought a core was very, very important. And so uh, others will say, well, eventually something would have developed there, and it would have. And I tell folks to, uh, back then, go look at the corner of, I- of uh, I-10 and Highway 6, and their corner so, with, a with a vacant lot with the chain link fence around it. And I felt like that that would help bring a core, a destination uh, to the city, uh, was able to negotiate with the developer to where the city hall the land for the city hall was donated to the city but it, to me it brought back the old scenario the old town where you had your county courthouse your city hall they were part of your city core yes and uh, so i think in the last 20 years uh, sugarland town square's been a tremendous success for sugarland it's probably over 150 to 60 million dollars worth of investment in our city and uh, even you know one of the Things uh, folks don't realize: the the Sugarland Marriott, when it was built in town center, because we spent uh, several years looking for a hotel developer, and I remember one consultant said, "You'll never find anyone." My comments were, "Get rid of him. Let's find someone else and continue looking." But when it was built in Sugarland, it was the first full-service hotel built in the Houston market in over 20 years.
0: So you made it happen
1: well uh, a lot of folks we worked hard we made it happen and uh, i you know i think it's provided a uh, a very nice core to our city a place where as we've always said people can go work play have a good time have dinner uh, a place where people can meet uh, a community gathering spot Mm -hmm. so that was something that was uh, in my opinion lacking and missing in sugarland and i hope it brought that core to our community
0: Yes, I can attest, and I know it did, because when I think of Sugarland, that's actually what I think about. Sugarland well, Town it. Center, well, get, get. <laughs> and I love going there. So, Dean, thank you so much for doing that for the community, and well, I know it does bring the community together. Yeah, business, politics, commerce, arts, all well, the good stuff.
1: Well, I, I I I agree with you, and I'm just excited that we were able to get our council on board. Uh, let Newton, let Newton and Sugarland properties continuing to. Uh, uh, Continue to work with the city, help to make it happen. Uh, and I think it's much better than what the alternatives could have been today.
0: Absolutely. All right. Next, Dean, uh, you were also, you had an integral role in bringing U of H Sugarland to Fort Bend County as well, correct?
1: Well, U of H Sugarland had a small presence in Fort Bend County. Okay. And their goal was to potentially grow, and they needed a campus because they were renting a, renting a facility. And back at that point in time, Governor Hobby, Bill Hobby, was the chancellor and president of the U of H system. And so. Now, he, was it the
0: Texas governor at the time?
1: Uh, well, he was a, a lieutenant governor previously. Okay. Okay. But in uh, any event, uh, in regard to U of H, uh, his goal was to. Bring it, into, bring it into the community. This yes. was before we had uh, internet, let's say, at the level it is today. Wait, uh, there was a world without internet, Dean? There was a world without internet. <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> before Al Gore invented it, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in any event, he saw an opportunity, uh, similar to U of H, Clear Lake City, uh, that Fort Bend County needed uh, additional education, and... His insight and direction, this was property that was previously owned by uh, where U of H is today, was previously owned by the prison system. Uh, when he was lieutenant governor of was transferred to the Texas Department of Transportation, they needed to swap some funds around back at that point in time. Uh, the prison system needed money, and uh, TxDOT had lots of money, so they ended up buying the land from the prison system. And he was able uh, to collectively go to the legislature and get the legislature to give over 200 uh, plus acres to the University of Houston. And also the city, we were fortunate enough to get over 400 and I believe 421 acres of land along the for a long-term city park.
0: Very nice, yeah. Do, do you wanna discuss more into detail about that as well?
1: Well, I'll, I'll talk about uh, two scenarios. Uh, number yeah. one, the city park. Uh, you know, I've had started looking in the mid 90s, uh, to be quite honest, uh, that we had a an amenity running through our city being the Brazos river that's never been taken advantage of. Uh, you look at Austin, you look at San Antonio and their river walk, how do we turn that somewhat negative into yes. a positive? Yes. And so it was an opportunity to work with the state, and in fact we were concerned if the state was going to, the governor was going to sign the bill, it was Governor Bush at that point, uh, the first time the state has ever given uh, parkland land to municipal government in its history. And so there was a little concern about the president that that was going to set up at the state capitol. Okay. But fortunately, Governor Bush signed a bill at that point. And on a long-term scenario, I mean, they've started development of the park area over the last 20 years. And it'll be another 20 or 30 years for development in terms of bike uh, uh from, here on I, from here on out? From okay. here on out, bike lane, walking trails, various other opportunities that can happen in regards to that scenario. Uh, In addition to U of H, the city also played a a very, very major role in helping uh, U of H uh, build a first building. Uh, Once they were able to secure the land, guess what? They had no money. And I remember asking Governor Hobby one day, I said, Governor, how do we know this is going to happen? And he said, Mayor, he said, there's only three pieces of dirt I've ever felt uh, fell in love with and this is one of them and we're gonna make it happen good he was able to secure three and a half million dollars from the state uh, to help build a building actually the Sugarland 4B Corporation we brought three and a half million dollars to the table uh, the George Ranch uh, they were willing to donate a million in matching dollars and another million dollars was raised to generate 10 million dollars to help build the first building
0: very good I wasn't aware that the 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 city government interacts that much with the state government
1: well is, it, is that it was probably more interacting uh, with the University of Houston system uh, working okay. through our legislatures and then working through governor hobby I mean he had the contacts okay. up in Austin I'm not sure if there's another person who could have ever pulled us off okay uh, I remember talking to many I'll call them people in the know saying hey you H is gonna try to uh, obtain this land from uh, TxDOT and I'll say several of them just laugh, that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. But I've got to give Governor Hobby credit, uh, he was able to pull it off, help bring a great educational institution to our community uh, because education is important for the development in the community. If you have an educated workforce, an opportunity for people to obtain an education, improve their education that's going to be where companies are going to want to relocate and locate to oh, yes. because they want to give their employees more and more opportunities.
0: Yes and I'm sure the community appreciates it as well because it's close. You don't have to drive one hour to go into town to go you, to main campus. It's really right. far.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah you don't have to drive across town it's close to home uh especially with the online classes they have now and a university in your backyard uh it, it just a great, uh, great opportunity. I mean, my understanding is they're, in terms of the number of students, it's growing on an annual basis, and uh, if they can build more buildings and have more opportunities, uh, it's been a tremendous success for the University of Houston.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm so glad to hear that, and yeah, myself always being a supporter of higher education, uh, even grade school, you know, K through 12, and then lifelong learning even outside of school. Right. So learning never stops. It's not just while you're at a formal institution. No, but I think no, that's well, misconstrued a lot of the time.
1: No, learning an everyday process, whether it's right. someone who's looking, working at FLOOR, working at TI, Anything. working for the school district, yeah. Uh, yeah. a place for your kids to, to get started in their education or complete their education. Yes. So it's, uh, it, it's uh, very, very important for any community to have an educated workforce.
0: Yes, absolutely. Even the, this radio show, I look at uh, my previous show to see how I can improve and educate myself. So yeah, ed- education is lifelong, and then also a big support of the parks too, and I'm sure the community uh, appreciates that too, to get that fresh air and exercise away from, you know, the city.
1: Well, we, we, had, a, we had a unique opportunity during the time when I played mayor. We developed a number of parks, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lost Creek Park uh, was developed, Oyster Creek Park, and, and I will tell you a funny story about Oyster Creek Park. Uh, have you been to Oyster Creek Park? I have You've got a, a waterway that's kind of in it, rocks and water. And everyone walks through and they're saying, wow, what a unique feature. You know, who came up with that idea? And the funny story behind it, it was a piece of uh, land that was donated to the city. And before it was donated, the developer had gone out and dug a gigantic hole because he needed the dirt to build up various residential properties. And so when he don't, was going to donate it to the city, we're trying to figure out what do we do with it. And we get a price for filling up the hole he had dug with dirt. And gosh, that was more than the lot was worth. So fortunately, we found a great landscape architect who took the hole and converted it into a fantastic water feature that it's the, one of the uniqueness Unique, of yeah. the entire park. Oh, very nice. I have you to know, go out there
0: and see it now. <laughs> you got to go see it. <laughs> Dude, it, you it got was, me so excited now.
1: <laughs> it's a scenario of turning lemons into lemonade. Just oh, yeah. And, uh, I like that quote. Some of the yeah. low water bridges and things that are out there. But, uh, it was, you know, it's one of these scenarios of how do we, how do we make something work? Yes. And... Uh, and uh, so it it's really turned down into a unique scenario. It gets a lot of uh, a lot of folks who are out there on a daily basis walking, walking their dog, riding their bikes, uh, a very interactive park.
0: Oh, very good. Dean, so initially, why did you decide to get into politics to begin with? Is it just uh, just from this conversation, I feel like you did it. I, I may answer half of it for you, but you really wanted to make a difference in the community. That's what it sounds like.
1: Well, I'm going to comment, uh, and it's kind of a funny story. Uh, We've always been involved in whatever whatever we do. We're, we're going to get involved with. You know, when my yes. kids played little league, we coached little league. When uh, uh, my my sons played soccer, we we coached soccer. Uh, so we've always been involved in the community, and it's not something to where for years and years I wanted to get involved in politics. One day I'm reading the newspaper and it's talking about the city's going to have an election and folks are going to be running for city council, and I look at it, and I go, wow, that looks interesting. Maybe that's something I ought to think about doing. Nice. And, and this was back in 1992. Actually, I ended up running, and I lost. It well, happens. And let me tell you, it was a very uh, learning experience. Uh, you know, the funniest thing I'll tell folks, and especially when I'll visit with new candidates today, uh, sometimes doing a little more homework, uh, the one thing I learned is the voting area one within district two, and voting area two within district one. Hmm. And uh, only until I got close to the election that I figure out. Wow, they had things kind of turned around here. But any event, it was a great experience. Met some great people. Uh, things didn't pan out that election, but the next go round, uh, and when I ran in '93, they did.
0: Oh, very good. Yeah, you were consistent.
1: Well, uh, we were consistent. The first go-round, we ran in an at-large position uh, because we had just gotten annexed into the city. And so the final, the next year, there was a district uh, that was opening up in the area that I lived in the city, parts of First Colony, and we ended up running in that particular district.
0: Okay. Yeah, I love hearing those stories because a lot of the times when I look at some candidates, they run one time, and I never see them again if they lose an election. And losses, it happens. So, well, but there's a, that consistency. It's what, what, helps. Well, pe- and then the learning process. Losing is, is
1: not in my pe- pedigree. As a What's lawyer, that? it's not in my pedigree. As a okay. lawyer, you know, uh, losses aren't acceptable. You know, our goal oh, is good. to win. Yeah, that's and the person you need to hire. We're going to go the winner, 110, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and we're going to keep working at it until we find a way to win. So, surely,
0: yeah. Once again, I love hearing that, and that's very inspirational to the audience out there. Yeah, that consistency it it does count. I think uh, Abraham Lincoln lost like elections like more than five times.
1: Uh, Abraham Lincoln lost seven elections, and then he finally won the Final presidency. One. Yeah, so yeah he that's lost insane. Seven story. in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah num- so if he lose one, like, it's not bad. <laughs> but number eight, uh, number eight turned out well, and yeah. uh, he's one of our greatest presidents ever.
0: Yeah, one of the best. Yes. So while you were over the course of your your life when you when you ran into certain challenges, whether it was in politics or your business, how did you overcome those challenges? It, was it being consistent and just you just kept punching?
1: Well, you know, there, there's a concept of continue punching, but sometimes yeah. it's the process of looking, educating yourself, reevaluating. It, you know, if you're running into a brick wall and you're figuring out I'm not making any progress. Uh, you got to find another way to get through it.
0: So learning and adapting.
1: It it may be a process you need the bulldozer to get through that wall first. just (laughs) slamming your head into it. So it's a a process of, you know, just because you fail that doesn't mean there isn't a way to get it done, there's not a way to get it accomplished. But I think the term adapting would be an excellent term to use to figure out why you're failing and not to make the same mistake and keep going after it. Just because you fall off the horse doesn't mean you can't get back on. Yes. and I think that's uh, some folks are easily intimidated if they fall off the horse no, I can't do it you know that's it yeah. I'm one of these folks if I fall off the horse by gosh I'm going to show that horse he's not going to get rid of me nice. I'm going to hop back on and ride him all day <laughs> So uh, I, I think that's part of the challenge you just got to be committed uh, to have that conviction and have the desire to make it happen
0: Yes, I really like that. Yeah, especially that adaptability and flexibility. I feel like now it's more important than ever with the the evolution of technology. It's it's changing so fast. Even as a millennial, it's, sometimes it's hard for me to keep up. So it's, it's it's insane. Yeah, the the rapid pace at which the world is changing from the technology around us.
1: No, the the, the world has changed, and I laugh yes. when I I'll, I'll talk to some of the young lawyers years, ago, you know, that I deal with now, and I said when I first started practicing, you talked to the other attorney. And you'd say, okay, I'll get a letter in the mail to you. Then you got to the point, well, I'll have a courier deliver something to you. Mm. Then we went to the stage of, I'll get something faxed over to you soon or "or something overnighted to you. Yes. And now we're at a point to where I'm sitting at my computer, I'm looking at my email, email it to me. Yeah, I need it insane. now. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there's no delay. And sometimes the reality is uh That instant response, instead of being a positive, it's a negative. Sometimes folks don't fully think through when they draft that email, when they send that email, what some of the ramifications could be because of it in terms of giving it a little more thought, a little more foresight.
0: Oh, yes, even when it comes to like typos, because when I send out any uh, formal documents, I try to make sure it's pretty much perfect. But, yeah, I understand what you're saying in regards to that. And yeah, in some instances, yeah, it can be a double-edged sword. All the technology.
1: Uh, yeah, I've got some of your text messages. I was going to recommend uh, check on your text. Uh, really. <laughs> oh,
0: thanks a lot, <laughs> Dean. <laughs> or my pronunciation of your last name. <laughs> I'll get it right eventually. The thing is, uh, it's weird because uh, I'm uh, as a millennial, I'm, I'm in an interesting dynamic where I got, uh, I'm part fifth, half of me is still old school, where I got that uh, that that exposure of face to face because I like. The show here because we, we get to do an interview face-to-face right, versus right. if we did it on zoom It's just right. totally different. I the chemistry I is different So that's why I like bringing people here to the studio because I feel like the interview is a lot stronger and then but at the same time I do believe in adapting to those new technologies
1: Well, we have to adapt to the new technology, yes. but I try to uh, some of the younger attorneys who are working for me yes. The importance of communication whether it's picking up the phone talking yeah. to someone sometimes you gather more information the voice inflections things of that nature sometimes i will deal with attorneys and behind a keyboard man they're just uh, you know uh, let's say a little mean and nasty. you get them in face to face and all of a sudden you know they're a little different uh personality oh yeah Yeah. and so i think it's very important to have the face-to-face interaction um you know whether it's uh in the legal profession or any profession and I think it's an art that's currently being lost uh, because too many folks now when you're asking uh they're communicating they're doing it by text they're doing it by email uh versus picking up the phone and calling or having those face-to-face meetings Uh, at least zoom you get to see the other person at the very least have some of the interactions the facial expressions things of that nature uh but still but we we do have to adapt and uh, zoom has saved a tremendous amount of time for a lot of folks Uh, in the legal profession hearings that in the past we would drive down to the courthouse and wait in the courtroom for 30 or 45 minutes to have a five-minute hearing and drive back to the office and spend two hours and now that same same interaction is taking 15 minutes so it's created a efficiency for both the court, uh, for our clients, and more importantly, help reduce costs because we're not having to spend as much time and energy to accomplish that task.
0: Right. And you can do it in your pajamas, right, Dean? In the comfort of your home.
1: <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm not, I'm not wearing my pajamas. Uh, no, you know, I'm I'm from the old school. If I'm going to do it, it's going to be a coat and tie all the way down. Good, I like so, that. Yeah. So you we're probably not, tell. Yeah, we're not going to be like the CNN uh, analysts. Oh right? yeah, yeah. And uh, some of their escapades uh, of what they've done. So
0: yeah, we're living in in an interesting time where when it's electronic communication, whether it's email or social media, uh, some people put out some nasty comments and. Those comments they may not necessarily make in person because they'll know they get punched in the face if they say something like that And I've seen a lot of that. I'm sure you have too. I'm not a big fan of it because I try to respect I I don't try. I do respect people in person even electronically. I show everybody respect I I don't intentionally write nasty things to Opinions that I don't agree with or political views. I don't agree with or something like that uh, of that sort
1: Well, I kind of have a rule of thumb. I would not write something, put it in an email, write on a post, or do anything, but I wouldn't personally stand across the person, look them in the eye, and make the same comment to them. Agreed. So that, that is kind of my, my analogy. If, if I won't personally make that comment or statement to them, I'm not going to write it someplace and hide behind a keyboard and a monitor. Yes. I think that's unfair. All right.
0: Uh, Dean, can you also let us know about some of the freeway projects you worked on while you were in office?
1: Well, uh, believe it or not, uh, you know, today we're enjoying the luxury of uh, 59 running all the way down through Rosenberg. Uh, back when I was mayor, it basically, the widening was coming to Sugarland, And one of the biggest challenges we had is over Highway 90. And those uh, today, when you go through high, Highway 90, it's the tri-level uh, intersection there. And one of the biggest challenges, because of it being a tri-level, that's short, Half a mile, three quarter of a mile intersection. The cost of it was tremendous, and what we ended up doing is working both with the county and the other communities. And we went to uh, TxDOT, started attending their meetings, got involved, and said, "Guys, we need it done. It's important for our community. Uh, you know, traffic was backing up. You were going from four, you know three lanes or so down to two lanes in the Sugar Land, uh, and it's not something our residents enjoyed. And so what we did instead of just saying build it, build it, build it, we said how can we partner with you to make this project move from, you know, let's say number 100 to, to number one.
0: Yes. And
1: what we ended up doing is we contributed uh, 10% of the cost of that intersection, uh, the improvements to it to TxDOT, and TxDOT ended up basically taking it off the bottom of the list, putting it on the top of the list and moved the project up 10 to 15 years. Oh, good. And, you know, because it was that integral linchpin. Once you got beyond that linchpin, everything else from a numbers perspective worked. But because the tri-level intersection, you know, you had 59 going over. You had uh, going underneath the railroad tracks and a grade level. It, It was just a very, very expensive intersection because of everything happening there.
0: Right, right, okay. All right, next, Dean, we'll move on to some current events going on in the world right now. Uh, as we know, there's there's a lot of events happening at the Texas uh, border right now with illegal immigration and all that stuff that's happening. What are, your, what are your thoughts about that in regards to what's going on?
1: Well, I'm one of these individuals to, you know, I'm an immigrant. You know, we and I were talked about. My family uh, immigrated to Texas from the Czech Republic back in 1885. Yes. But they did it legally.
0: But they did it legally. There was
1: a process that everyone went through the process. Uh, And today I think there clearly needs to be a process. Those who want to immigrate to our country, uh, we need to, we have a legal process. It's not very efficient from what I hear, where people will wait years and years and years for it to finally happen. And it's not fair to those individuals to where we have folks who come and swim across the river, cut in line. You know we've gone through this process back in the early 80s in terms of granting some quote-unquote amnesty to individuals who were here and the hope was that they were going to put a stop to what had occurred and at that point uh, we wouldn't find ourselves in this same predicament 40 years later but unfortunately we haven't learned and we have a lot of individuals coming into this country who haven't taken their you know haven't waited in line It's uh, not helpful to the individuals who are in this country who are still looking for jobs at this point. Uh, From a health perspective, uh, it's amazing a U.S. citizen when you fly back from a vacation you've got to take a coronavirus test, but if you swim across the river uh, it's not necessary. Uh, So we've got an extremely flawed policy when it comes to immigration. So, am I opposed to immigration? No, our country was built on immigrants. We are probably on a long-term basis gonna need need the manpower. Uh, but the system we have now is, is unfair um, and just unpatriotic to those who have followed the rules.
0: Yes, like your ancestors did, as my parents did. Yes. Yeah. They yes. did it the legal way. With- We've got to do
1: it the legal way. Absolutely. I mean, do we have a country when we have open borders where folks can just come and go if they please? Yeah, we won't. And unfortunately, that's that's what we're dealing with today.
0: Yeah, I've said this on the show before, but we have to have a nation of laws. It's as simple as that. Because when I go break the law on the street, I'll get a ticket or go to jail, as you would anybody.
1: Well, why do they get a free pass? That's the way it (laughs) should happen. (laughs) Right. And and, and that's one of the challenges. We have laws on the books. And we just have a government that's not enforcing it.
0: Yes. All right, next, Dean. Uh, In regards to what happened in Afghanistan with the takeover of the Taliban recently, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, I I think it was a sad day for America. It was a sad day for all of our military who had uh, spent years there, those who died there, those who were injured, uh, came back uh, with serious injuries from the process, those who served there we spent trillions of dollars in Afghanistan and for us to one day just pack up and walk away. uh, It's sad from that perspective. It's sad to the people in Pakistan who helped us and supported us and the impact it's having on those individuals today who are stranded there and who are probably gonna unfortunately be hunted down and and killed by the the Taliban at this point. Uh, You know, we've got other countries. you know, We've got Korea that we stood with back in the 50s. We yes. still have manpower there. Yes. Uh, we've got Europe, we still have resources there. We've got uh, Japan and other areas, uh, we still have resources. My sense is for a very small amount of resources, we could have given the Afghan government The, the uh, support? The, the resources and the support yeah. they needed to stay in control. And and the worst part is, my fear is 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we're going to refight the same battle we just fought with the Taliban. We're going to have terrorism, we're going to have negative things coming out of that country. Uh, So I think it's a sad day for America, and uh, it's it's a very unfortunate, uh, the manner in which it was handled, it was dealt with, uh, it's, it's a sad day for our country.
0: Yes, but yeah, we have good national security where hopefully we can thwart any any of those kinds of threats to our country and the sovereignty of our nation.
1: Well, I, and I agree with you, and I hope we can. But why set up a, an opportunity uh, for someone to have their staging ground? That's true. And to be yeah. able to do that it openly and freely, and uh, and us not have any opportunity, especially after we've invested so much. Yes, I mean we don't want we don't need to be in the nation building business. Uh, you know, we've got enough for our own challenges at home. We can't be spending trillions of dollars elsewhere, but I think uh, uh, the small dollars we could have spent there. And I think we also gave up a very strategic base that was in Afghanistan. I was talking to a very knowledgeable individual, and, uh, you know, his comments were uh, there was a large military base that we had there, and that military base is somewhat, uh, strategic. I guess west of China. Mm. And the Chinese are probably very happy to see us gone to where if we ever got into a conflict, conflict with China, that's a resource that we've lost.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's true. All right, Dean, in regards to recent vaccine mandates from governments at all levels, uh, what, is your, what are your thoughts about that as well as mask mandates?
1: Well, I, I'm, you know, my view is people need to be responsible for their own actions yes. in regard to the vaccine. If an individual, after they've done their study, they've done their analysis, they're, they want to do the vaccine, by gosh, go get it done.
0: So be it. Okay. You know,
1: so be it. But that needs to be a personal decision. That not the individual makes. It, it should not be a government decision. That's a decision that an individual and their doctor should make based on uh, their health criteria, everything going on in their life. You know, I view uh, the, the, the pandemic as... Uh, Uh, Let's say the pandemic, and I view it as the China virus, Uh, I think it was potentially a deliberate attack on our country. And uh, the direction and the focus that we're taking to deal with it, uh, let's say I don't 100% agree with. But in terms of the vaccines, uh, that should be a personal decision between an individual and their physician, and the government shouldn't play a role in it.
0: Yes. Okay. And then next, let's move on to politics. So we'll start local Fort Bend County, Harris County, and then Texas and the United States. Your thoughts about the overall kind of direction as where things are going right now?
1: Well, it's too early, too early to tell. You know, we have another set of elections coming up in 2022. Uh, We have seen periods in the past where what's happening at the national level has a significant impact on the local level. We've uh, we've seen it with President Clinton where all of a sudden that brought about the resurgence of the republican party in 1994 we've seen it with uh, president obama where in 2010 you ended up with the tea party uh, and a shift in politics at that point Uh, in its own way president trump brought about the shifts the benefit of the democratic party in 2018 and potentially 2020. so the pendulum is always swinging out there Yes. And, uh, you know, the question is, most likely it's going to swing back. And the million-dollar question is, how far does it swing back? Mm-hmm. And, here, you know, today we're still 14 months away from an election. A lot can happen in 14 months. That's true. Yeah. So it's, it's to be seen.
0: Okay. All right. And currently what I see out there a lot in regards to political atmospheres and environments is a lot of division and a lot of hatred and separation not a big fan of it. What, Dean, what do you see as solutions for this and what's going on out there? Because I've always been, I, I, I'm always an individual, you know, I can agree to disagree with just about anybody, and, and I try my best to get along with everybody too. Right. right.
1: Well, I'm going to go back to my legal background and profession, and there may be a day that I'm in court and I'm arguing against another attorney. Yes. And we're, we're fighting hard, we're arguing hard based on our position. And once we finish the hearing, we'll look at each other and say, let's go have lunch. Oh, wow. and, and we have lunch and we sit down and have, have a good time. And there are times you have to agree to disagree. Yes. And what we need today, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, because we don't have them, is we need more statesmen. We need folks who are out there focusing on you know, it's not a Democrat idea, so I've got to support it. It's not a Republican idea, I've got to support it. How about an American idea? What's best for America? Good for the people. Yes. What, what's good for the people? What's best for our country? What's best yes. for our state? What's best for our county? What's best for our city? You know, back when I served as mayor, we talked about all the times. The potholes, they're not Democratic potholes. They're not Republican potholes. They're potholes. And yeah. people want to get them fixed, yes. you know, when your toilet flush, you know, it's not a Democratic flush or a Republican flush, it, it's a flush, you know. There are basic things we need to get done in our country, and our leaders need to go back to the days of Sam Rayburn and others to where we had statesmen that rose above it all, people sat down, they discussed it. They coll- collaborated and hopefully come to the best solution versus the Republican solution or the Democratic solution. But what about the American solution? Yes, that's and, interesting. And I think that's where we've got to focus.
0: So, very sounds a uh, solution to all that division and hatred out there. What is your the most rewarding thing for you as an individual that you received uh, working in that amount of time in public service as an elected official? What has been the most rewarding thing for you?
1: Well, I think the bottom line, uh, it gets back to the scenario of leaving the community in a better place when you left than it was when you got there. And, and I look at the direction, I think, uh, the foundation that we were able to set for Sugar Land uh, in areas in regards to development and the standards that were able to get set, uh, transportation, yes. uh, improvements that we did into the park system through those years, the foundation for U of H Sugar Land you know uh, that's something that will hopefully serve the community for for decades yes, and, for and the overall time. process yes. setting up sound fiscal policies uh, during that time period so I don't I don't think there's a, a single thing we can you know we can say I uh, you know, I'll comment one of the other things we did Then people will laugh back in 1997 we bought all the water rights available on the Brassus River and we knew at that point it would be 20 25 years before they would be utilized. Here we are today, whether it be good or bad for drinking water from the Brassus River. So I think one of the things that I hope we, we did is we left it a better place, but more importantly, we prepared for the future. And we left a good blueprint and a map and made things easy for those that came on board afterwards in terms of the city's growth and the direction yes. uh, that it is today.
0: So you set the foundation.
1: Okay. That, that's the key. That's the key.
0: Next, Dean, you're working on this project. It's called Impact a Hero, correct? Yes. Yeah, can you tell us more about that?
1: Well, I'm on a board of a group called Impact a Hero. And okay. what Impact a Hero does, it helps veterans in our community. So if there's any veterans out there who may need some, and I use the term help, some assistance they do everything from training financial training Uh, they will help people financially and their focus isn't to to give someone fish per se they want to teach you how to fish they have a leadership academy Uh, they have a financial planning academy to help you manage your budget so they're not just going to give you money and say good luck they're going to help you utilize your money how to become responsible uh, it's an organization that's been around since approximately 2005, at least in the Sugarland area. And I'm going to comment called Impact a Hero. They've got a number of events that are coming up. I'm looking at my notes here.
0: Yes, please uh, share with uh, us.
1: I'm, I'm going to comment uh, a couple different things. On November the 11th, they have Impact a Hero Legacy of Freedom Gala. So feel free to look it up. Uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw is going to be the speaker at the event. It'll be a great event, it's there to raise money so we can give back to vets in the community. On October the 2nd, they have a thing called Over the Edge. Uh, It's a scenario to where you can go and propel, and I believe it's a six story building, that you can propel down a six story building uh, and I think Jimmy here would be an excellent guy to be doing that. <laughs> I'll be the guinea pig. Yeah, I, I think he <laughs> I'll needs test the test the rope. He, well, you won't be the guinea pig. You're going to have fun. <laughs> yeah, He'll and have put fun. You in yeah. a Batman cape and let you go oh, down. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, on November 6th, they've got the Impact a Hero uh, Freedom Bike Ride, and they've got a motorcycle ride on November the 14th. So their uh, impactahero.org is the uh, web address, but it's a great organization, an opportunity to help vets. If you're a vet that needs help, please feel free to touch bases with them. If you're someone who wants to help vets, it's a great organization to, uh, uh, to get involved with, whether you want to be a volunteer, whether you want to buy a seat at the table, whether you want to buy a table, uh, any of those things, whether you want to propel down the uh, six-story building. Uh, you know, in fact, feel free to give me a call, and I'd be happy to share more information with you.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for sharing that with the audience. Yeah, y'all have quite a number of interesting activities going on here very soon.
1: It, it it's a great organi- organization, great event. They're waiting for the weather to turn a little cooler, and it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yes, and before we wrap up the interview with uh, two more questions, is there anything else you wanted to share from your documents, sir? Do you-
1: no, no. I just brought some notes. Okay. Uh, so.
0: Okay, so the last two questions is you are currently, you will be running for office here in this next election cycle, is that correct? And what position is that for?
1: We're going to be running for office in 2022. We're going to be running for a county court at law position in Fort Bend County, uh, which is a judgeship. And one of the reasons we're running is our founding fathers knew it was important to establish justice in the formation of our country. And one of the things I can do, Jimmy, is bring over 35 years of legal experience to the court the court I'm running for, it handles everything from civil litigation matters up to 200,000, uh, probate matters, uh, I've been involved in hundreds of probates through the years, uh, misdemeanor criminal law, juvenile law, and you know I tell folks, uh, it, it's hard to understand juveniles until you've raised a couple kids, and I've got three children, three great, wonderful children, but like everyone, we've had our challenges through the years, and uh, so, I feel like, uh, from my background and experience uh, dealing with the juvenile, I'll have a little different perspective. But more importantly, uh, the level of legal background and knowledge that I bring to the bench I think will be very important. So, folks will get a fair, impartial day in court and have a judge who is knowledgeable uh, and effective in terms of getting them to a resolution in regards to their case. So we look at it as an opportunity to serve our community again in a little different format.
0: Okay, sounds great. And then last question, I always wrap up the interview with three tips to be successful in life. So we're gonna go with a tip to be successful as a lawyer, a tip to be successful in politics, and then a tip to be successful in life as a whole.
1: Well, uh, we'll start in the, in the law practice, uh, yes. and, and I've got a quote here that I love from Agra, Abraham Lincoln. It says, the secret of a successful lawyer is not knowing what cases to take, but what cases not to take. And I think part of that process is getting an understanding of your client, what their expectations are, to make sure you can meet their expectations. Yes. And to make sure everyone's on the same page before you get involved. Because the last thing you want to do is take a case to where your client may have unreasonable expectations. And uh, if they're unreasonable on the forefront, uh, it no one's going to be happy at the end. Yes. So I think that's a, a great uh, scenario. Now, what, what were the other two?
0: Next, to be successful as a politician, elected official.
1: Uh, to be successful as a politician, I'm going to say, uh, I'll just laugh a little and say, you need to have thick skin. You know, I not that's the most yeah. important thing, but, uh, you know, a quote I used to share with Tom DeLay and others out there, it says, to avoid controversy, do do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. So if you're going to get involved in politics, uh, understand day one, you're, you're, you know, everything you do, you're going to, 50% of the people are going to be happy and 50% of the people are going to be mad, and understand that in the front end. and. At the end of the day, the best thing to do is do what you believe is right. Uh, So when you put your head on the pillow at night, you're not concerned about it because you know you made what you believe is the best decision. The public can can
0: agree or disagree.
1: They can agree or disagree. And, you know, my view was if uh, they didn't like what I did, they had an opportunity to vote me out of office and put someone else in. And that gives me more time with my wife and family and other things that I want to do because the folks that we have serving in various capacities, especially your city council, your school board, uh, most folks have no idea how much time that they put into those roles. And it's a very, very minimal pay if you, for example, school board members do not get paid. And it's a very, very difficult position. So, and you know, the last thing I'll just comment on uh, just, you know, in life, what can I say? Patience, Patience, uh, don't take life too seriously, but, one other one other quote I always loved, and I have a tell it to the uh, staff at City Hall says, "Ideas are dime a dozen; those who implement them are priceless." From oh, all I Disney. like that, yeah. and uh, that's the key. Whatever you want to do, uh, there are a lot of folks that always have ideas, yes. But the real key is being able to figure out what you can get accomplished and making it happen in reality. And I think that is something that's uh, uh, that is so important. Too many people talk about things. There are those who talk about it, and there are yeah. things who yep, get yep, it done. Yep. Yeah. And that's very, very important.
0: Yeah, I like that last one. Yeah, implementation and action.
1: Implementation and action. Making oh, it happen. Yes,
0: make it happen. All right, Dean. Thank you so much for coming to the studio for this interview. To the audience out there, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Have a great day. Bye.